Um, let me give you a little like recap. If you were not here last week, what we did is um, everybody got one of these, which if you want one of these, head over to the cafe. You can grab your uh, cube afterwards. But the whole point that we shared was as we're trying to grow in our prayer life, that's what we're talking about this month of September, is growing in our prayer life. We recognize, at least for me, it's very easy to have a one-sided prayer a one-dimensional prayer where I kind of pray the same thing at the same time, at the same place, I say the same words, and, and it just kind of gets into a little bit of a rut where that prayer life doesn't seem as personal anymore. It's just, I just pray this at this time. That's just what I do. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with having those rhythms of prayer, of praying before bedtimes and praying before we eat and, and even using those same words. In fact, Jesus gave us some great words to use in the Lord's Prayer. Like when you pray, pray like this. So it's not a stop praying like that. It's recognize there's multiple sides to prayer. So it's not just praying before dinner. It's also praying in these other moments throughout my day. It's not just asking God to give me something. It's also letting God know how much I appreciate him and what he has done in my life. It's thanking him. The whole idea is to become more personal in our prayer life. That's what we're trying to figure out. So yes, it is to pray more, not just more frequently, but it's to help us pray more personally, more relationally, more intentionally, more specifically, more boldly, more honestly. It's to pray maybe with more sides in mind. And what helps us with that is recognizing the depth of our personal relationship with God, right? When, when we talk with God as a, just as creator, well, then we're expecting him to provide. But what when we talk to God as our father, what, do we what does it sound like to talk to God as our friend, what does, it talk, what does it sound like to talk with him as our savior? So when we recognize all these other sides to even our relationship, that changes how we pray. So if I were to sum it all up, what are we talking about this entire month of, uh, this month of September in regards to prayer? It'd be this, that praying personal prayers will grow your personal relationship with God. That the more we pray personal prayers, and those prayers come out of our personal relationship with him, the byproduct, of course, is going to be your relationship with him will continue to grow. And not just a relationship, but a very deep and meaningful personal relationship, which is the relationship that he desires for us. So to help us with that, we've been using Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a great example of a prayer. It's actually written to be a prayer. And in that prayer, it's not just learning how to pray. We also see a wonderful picture, a beautiful picture of the relationship we have with God. And again, the more personal the relationship, the more personal the prayers, and the more that personal relationship with God will grow. So to start, we did this last week as well. We are going to read together Psalm 23. If you've got it in your Bible, great. If not, I'll put it up on the screen behind me. We'll read together, and then we'll jump into what we're going to see today. Read with me. Psalm chapter 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. 
Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And as we open your word, as we read your word, but listen to you, I pray that you would grow our personal relationship with you. That it's not just a relationship we have, you are the relationship, the most important relationship that we have. And I would hope that our prayers would show that. So God, would you speak to us personally and individually? Would you challenge us and move us, change us, convict us, and encourage us as you speak? So speak, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so my family knows this about me, of course. Um, many of you, if you're, if you're been around me enough, you could probably guess this. The rest of you is probably not a very big surprise. I'm not very good at paying attention, like holistically. I just don't pay attention very well. I like to think that I can multitask. I like to think that I can pay attention to a lot of things going on, but I most certainly cannot. I try focusing, but then I get distracted, so then I have to refocus again. And that paying attention, or the lack of paying attention, shows up pretty often, again, especially in my family. Happened even yesterday. Uh, so my two oldest boys, uh, Connor and Cole, they're playing flag football. And so here we are camped out on the flag football field and I'm just locked in watching my boys play football and cheering them on. But I'm also trying to multitask. So that means watch them play and then send a few text messages and then watch them play some more and then work on a couple things real quick in between plays. So I'm, I'm trying to do this split attention, this multitask. And during one moment of texting, I hear hear my wife do the mom thing. She does one of those things. You know what I mean? And so I'm sitting there like trying to get a few things done and plan, check some things off my own to-do list. And I hear this, I look at it and say, oh, yeah, go. Which son is it again? Like, go. Oh. And I, 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 in that moment, I realized like I totally missed it. Like my oldest, he made an incredible defensive play and I saw all the other ones, but I missed this one because I wasn't paying attention. Because I was trying to multitask, my, my focus was split and there I was missing something important. Becky and I have been married over 14 years. And in that 14 years, I would like to say that I have paid attention perfectly to everything that she has said and done. Right, but that's not necessarily the truth. But this was, this was, I believe, during the summer, but I just said I don't pay attention well, so who knows when this actually happened. But I, I wanna say it was during the summer that I wanted to do something just nice, one of those just because moments for my wife, just because she does a great job as a mom. She's a wonderful wife. She does so much at her job. I mean, it's just incredible what she does. So I decided I was gonna do something nice for her. And so I bought her a dozen roses. And I'm so proud of myself. I went during the day when she was gone, I got these roses, I brought them to the house, put them in the vase. And I'm like, she's gonna be so surprised when she walks in and she sees a dozen roses sitting there on the counter. So at the end of my work day, I walk in and I just strut in the house. I'm like, I know I did a good job today. I might not have yesterday and I might not tomorrow, but today I'm a good husband. And so I walked in and Becky's over there and I just have this smile. I'm like, you have a good day. And she's like, yeah, yeah, it was fine, it was good. And I'm like, and? And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, I saw the roses, thank you. We need to talk. And I was like, oh, that's not how I thought this was gonna go. I was like, well, what's up? And she says, Brian, do you remember what I've told you again and again and again? And I'm like, I feel like the answer is yes, <laughs> but I'm not sure, 
I was like, like, what? And she says, Brian, I've told you multiple times, I do not like roses. And I'm like, oh, I would love to say I remembered that and that I had paid attention to that over the last 14 years, but that's not the case. Totally did not remember that at all. So now I'm scratching my head. I'm like, well, like, what kind of flowers might you like then? And she's like, we've talked about this. Hydrangeas. I'm like, I can't even spell hydrangea. It's like, does Kroger carry these? And she's like, yes. So like two weeks later, I think it was two weeks later, I went and got hydrangeas, had no idea what they looked like. And like, I need hydrangeas. You should have seen this lady's look at, as she looked at me, it's like this way, sir. So anyway, I got the hydrangeas and all was better, but obviously I don't pay attention. But we could all have stories like that, right? Where our attention gets split, where our focus gets scattered. We try to multitask. But the hard part is, which I've, again, realized yesterday again, is the people that are closest to us, the relationships that we value the most, they are the ones that should get most of our attention, right? The more personal the relationship, the deeper the relationship, those are the people that deserve more and more and more of your attention. But in reality, those tend to be the ones that get gypped sometimes because I try to multitask and our attention gets split, and we don't pay enough attention. Same is true in our relationship with God. Our most important relationship, who deserves most of our attention, yet we split our attention up, and he doesn't get as much as he should get. So what I want to help us with in our personal prayer life is paying more attention to God. The more we pay attention, notice that word pay, there is a cost. To pay attention means you have to give some other things up so that you can give attention somewhere else. So when we pay more attention in our relationship with God and we pay more attention to him, our personal relationship will grow. And our prayers that we've been saying will become more and more personal. So as we go through Psalm 23 today, here's the prayer that I want you to have in the back of your head. I want you to be thinking about as we go through Psalm 23 today. Here it is. Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes. Help me to see where my attention is split. Help me to see you and what you're doing. Let me pay more attention to you because this relationship that I have with God matters most. Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see. Help me to pay more attention to you. So Psalm 23, that's what we're gonna see. Uh, we've been going through Psalm 23. We looked at verses one, two, and three last week. We are just gonna look at verse four today. You got one verse for the next 25 minutes, and I promise it, it'll go faster than you think. So in verse four, that's what I want you to pay attention to, right? Paying attention. How am I supposed to pay attention more to God? Lord, open my eyes. Now, even though it's one verse, we're going to break it up into three lines. David, the writer here, King David, he writes three different lines that we now call verse four. So let's go through those. We'll break them up and see how we can ask God to help us open our eyes so we pay more attention to him and grow our relationship more personally. Verse four even when I walk through the darkest valley. Or if you grew up in church, probably the King James Version said, what, what does it say there? What's that translation? Even though I, that's right, walk through the, there you go, you've got that one. Yes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now this translation, the reason why that's a little bit different, a lot of times we get hung up on the word death. 
And you might think, well, I, I'm not currently dying. Or you might think, well, this is only about those life or death situations. So this is a little bit more accurate in regards to what David was intending. King David is not just talking about life and death situations here. He is talking about these very dark moments where you don't know how you're going to make it through. That's his intent behind this passage. So he says, even though I walk through these darkest valleys and I don't know if I can make it through and I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel and it's so uncertain and I don't know how this is gonna work out. Those are the moments he's trying to get in our heart and in our head. Now, one thing I wanna point out, a couple things I wanna point out is this first part, even when I walk through the darkest valleys. It's not even if, it's even when. In other words, we will all go through dark valleys. It's not if you'll walk through them, it is when you will walk through them. Oftentimes we act surprised when difficult things happen. This is helping us know it's going to happen, so don't be surprised. And oftentimes when we are surprised, it totally shakes the rest of our life. Now that's understandable, especially when you're talking about some very, very difficult moments. But what David is trying to get across is we are gonna walk through difficulties. We are gonna walk through some really dark valleys. And it's not if, but when. And then he says this next phrase, even when, he says, I walk through the darkest valleys. Notice there's movement in his language. When I walk through them. Oftentimes, again, when we walk through or when we hit these dark times, instead of walking through them, we start standing still. It stops us in our tracks right? A crisis or a tragedy, a difficulty that shakes the very foundation of your life. You just stop. And you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know which way to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't know what I'm supposed to think. And all the unknowns and all of the uncertainties kind of paralyze you right where you are. And what David is pushing us towards is to keep moving. Yes, it's going to happen. It's not if, but when. And these dark moments are going to be dark and difficult, but keep moving. Keep walking. David does not write, even when I sit down in the darkest valley, even when I lay down in the darkest valley, even when I stop and be still in the darkest valley. He's like, no, keep walking. Yes, it might slow you down, but keep taking those next steps. Keep moving towards him. You will walk through it. You will get through it, even when we don't see how. So that first prayer we said, Lord, open my eyes. Let's be a little bit more specific. Not just open my eyes. Let's say, Lord, open my eyes to see my next step. Help me to see what to do next. I might not see how this is gonna end. I might not see how the, where this is exactly going. I might not see how this is all gonna work out. So all I can pray personally is, God, I am walking through a dark valley. This is difficult. So help me know what my next step is. Because that's how we would describe or define walking, correct? Right? Walking is not this. What makes me walk? Not a rhetorical question. What makes me walk? Taking a next step. And if I just stay here, I'm no longer walking. I'm now staying put. So then to walk, I need to do what? Take another step. And we continue to take another step. It's taking another step, but allowing God to be the one that's directing you. So Lord, open my eyes and help me to see my next step. Might not see where it ends. Might not see how this is all gonna work out and how this is gonna go. So Lord, open my eyes to see my next step. The second line, even when I walk through the darkest valley, he says, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. 
I will not be afraid. That is a very common theme throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. We see time and time again, either two categories of people like David saying, I will not be afraid. I am not afraid, personalizing it. Other times we see God give it as a command. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. In both of those instances, if you were to go through scripture and compile all of the do not fear, do not be afraid, I am not afraid, find all of those statements, you know what you'll notice? There's always an additional sentence or paragraph afterwards. In other words, it's not God saying, do not be afraid, period, just because I said so. It's not David saying, I will not fear. No, there's always a reason why. You're like, you want to finish the explanation. You want there to be a reason. We need the rationalization of, well, why? Why, David, are you not afraid? When God commands Joshua, do not be afraid. Well, why? Because it's not, do not be afraid because there's nothing to fear. No, like, there are, we just read the darkest valley. <laughs> There are things that most certainly cause fear. Fear's real. It's not ignoring the fear. It's not minimizing the fear. So if it's not, do not be afraid because there's nothing to fear. God also doesn't say, do not be afraid because you got it, slugger. It's not one of those. It's not, do not be afraid because I believe in you. Like it's none of those pep talks. This is not a do not be afraid because you've got it. None of those explanations through scripture are a focus on our abilities at all. Every single one of them in some way points back to God. Do not be afraid because, and then the answer is always pointing to God. David's no exception here. He says the same thing. I am not afraid. Why? Help us understand what's the reason, David. Why are you not afraid? For you, God, are close beside me. There's the reason. It's not because there's nothing to fear. It's definitely not because David can handle it on his own. It's because God is close beside him. So here's our personal prayer. How do we make that open my eyes more specific? Lord, open my eyes to see the truth, the truth. And I word it that way because of how David said this. Oftentimes we allow other things to get in the way, right? Let me read this again. I want to point out what's not in here. David says, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. You know what David does not say here? There's words missing that you and I might add in there. It's not because I feel like you are close to me or I think you are next to me. I guess you're kind of close. There's no feelings attached to this here. David is making a statement, a declaration. He's presenting the facts. I am not afraid because you are with me. You are close beside me. And so often we struggle with this because we add, I'm going to try not to be afraid, but I don't feel close to you, God. I don't want to fear, but I don't feel like you're here. I want to believe it, but I don't feel it. Let me say this, how you and I feel does not change the truth. Let me say it one more time. Let that sink in a little bit. What you and I feel does not change the truth. David might not feel close to God in this dark valley. That does not change the truth that God is 
close beside him. Let me ask a question, and this, this is a rhetorical question, so think about this one in your head and in your heart, but I would encourage you to answer it honestly. As of today, this moment, it's 11.37 a.m., Sunday morning, right here, right now, do you feel like God is close to you? With all that's going on in your world, with all that's going on in the world, today in this moment, do you feel like God is close to you? Do you feel like you are close to God? Regardless of how you answered that question, the answer is he is still there. Regardless of how you feel, he is closer than you can imagine. He is right there beside you. Even when you feel like he's not, he is. So we pray, Lord, open my eyes to see the truth. Not just what I think and not just what I feel, but help me, to op- help me to see the truth that you are close beside me, no matter what. Sometimes this is all we have to hold on to is his truth and the promises of him. In those moments where you don't feel like he's close, in those moments where you are struggling, and you say, I want to believe, but I don't feel it, that's when faith comes in. And we make the declaration and we say, I don't see it and I'm struggling to believe it. I definitely don't feel it, but I know he's with me. We hold on to the truth and we hold on to his promises, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, even when we don't feel it. So God, open my eyes and help me see the truth. The last part of what David says here, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid because you are statement truth. You are close beside me. The last line, he says, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Now, this is a very important line that David adds here. And what this last section talks about or what David's getting across is not just that God is close by. We've already stated that. It's not just that God is present with you. We've stated that. This is saying God's present and he's active in your life. Like we can be present, we can be physically there, but not engaged. That was me for a portion of the football game yesterday. I was present, physically there, sweating on the sidelines because of the sun, physically there, but not as engaged as I should have been. And what we see David point to is God is there. He most certainly is present and he absolutely is engaged and involved, not just in the big picture world, but in your world as well, with you individually and personally. David goes back to using shepherd language. We saw this last week when he called him my shepherd. And he uses the rod and the staff to explain not just the presence of God in our lives, but the activity and the engagement of God in our lives. So here's the research of shepherds if this is going to help you understand rod and staff and what those mean. So the rod would have been pictured like a club, right? Thick, heavy club that a shepherd would use against any enemies. If there's enemies that come to, to take the sheep, he would fight them off, whether it be a band of robbers or whether it be wolves. The club, the rod would be used to beat off enemies. It was for protection. But then you had the staff, and this is probably what's more in your head. You know, the little shepherd's hook, that's the staff. And the staff was not used on enemies. The staff was used on the sheep. And the staff would be used to guide and move the sheep around. 
The staff would be used to count the sheep, not to sleep, but to make sure that none wandered off and to lose, and he got lost. He would use it to check on them and make sure all the sheep were healthy. The staff is used on the sheep, for the sheep, individually for the sheep, whereas the rod would be used to fight off enemies. So that's what David is trying to help us understand. Yes, he's close beside, but he's also active and engaged in your own life right there with you. So what's our prayer? Our prayer is, Lord, open my eyes to see what you are doing. Help me to see what you are actually doing. Because I've just stated that you are here. Even if I don't feel it, even if I don't think it's true, I'm going to declare it and I'm going to believe it in faith that you are here. Help me see the truth, but also, man, show me what you're doing. How are you moving? How are you protecting me? How are you teaching me? Where are you leading me? How are you guiding me? Very personal, Lord, open my eyes to see what you are doing in my own life. Now, something happens here specifically um, in this section that we just went through. And I wanna, want you to see how David's attention and focus shifts, just like we're trying to pay more attention to God. David actually does this in the Psalm. Notice this, let me put up the whole Psalm 23 again. And what we saw in verses one, two, and three it was almost as, as if David was talking like to us about God. Notice all the he. He leads me, talking about God. He lets me. He guides me. It's all about him over there. But then in this section of verse 4, when he starts talking about the darkest of valleys, he shifts and uses what? You. So notice what would have this, this would have looked like in a conversation. If I'm here talking to you about him, about God, and then I get to start talking about the very difficult times of my life, I shift my focus and I pay less attention to you and I start looking to him and I say, you. Do you notice the shift? It's not just him explaining about him, God, anymore. David is very personal in this moment where he begins to say, no, 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 no. You are close beside me, your rod, your staff, you prepare, you honor me, your goodness. Even David's attention changes and shifts on God and not necessarily his audience listening in. That's what this is intended to do. Lord, open my eyes, allow my focus to shift. Let me pay more attention to God and allow my prayers to be personal so that my personal relationship with him can continue to grow. Lord, open my eyes. Help me to see the truth. Help me to see what you're doing and help me to see what my next steps are, especially in those darkest valleys. So let me ask you a question. We're gonna finally get to Jenga over here. What are you currently afraid of? Like, what are some of your fears? And, and let me give you some where I'm going with this. When I say fears, obviously we're not talking about the things that just scare you. It's the things that you truly are worried that, man, if these things happen, my life's gonna fall apart. Right? If this doesn't work out, my life's gonna crumble. God, if this was ever to happen, if this were ever to happen, I, I don't know what I would do. Like it's those things. What are those fears that we have? David definitely had the fears but he also recognized the truth. So let's recognize our fears as well. What, what has you afraid? So the, the game of Jenga is full of fear. It's a game of fear. <laughs> the game of Jenga is played by removing different blocks. And if you remove them well, then it 
doesn't fall down. But the whole point of the game is to remove blocks without everything come crashing down, right? And you quickly learn that the importance of this game is about the foundation, right? It's important to have a strong and sturdy foundation. If you do not have a strong and sturdy foundation, again, you lose the game, everything comes crashing down. So let me ask the question again, what are you afraid of? What are the things in your life the things that you have faced, are facing, might face, that makes your life just a little bit more unsteady. God, I don't know how many more of these I can take because every time something else happens, I feel like my life is getting more and more shaky. And you make it through one thing and then something else begins to happen. Like, God, I, I, I just don't have enough ability to keep going. Let's call out some of these. Loss. Death of a friend or a loved one. Loss of a job. Let's put that one back here. That feels safer. Addictions. Where God, I just don't think I can get through this without you. And even with you, I start to wonder <laughs> what's going to happen. Because if this truly does happen, God, there's no possible way that I'm going to make it through. Maybe it's a divorce. And as you walk through that divorce, you're like, this is going to be the one thing that just knocks it all down. We all have that thing that we're afraid of, aren't we? Don't we? That if we do that one thing, the whole thing is going to come tumbling down. So we pray, please do not let this happen. <laughs> God, whatever you do, whatever prayers you might have heard from me, like this is the one, whatever you do, don't let this thing happen because I know my life will not make it if this happens. But remember what we read, the beginning of verse four? It's not... Keep me out of the dark valleys. It's even when I walk through the dark valleys, I know that you are with me. And people look at your life and they're like, how is that even possible? <laughs> like, how are you still standing? How are you still doing this? And you begin to share. You're like, well, it, it's not me because I couldn't do this on my own. And, and yes, like, anybody else, my life would have fallen over. If my life was built on anything or anyone else, whew, my life would have been over by now. <laughs> Yet somehow, I better stop. <laughs> somehow, our life doesn't fall apart. So how is this even possible? How do we, like David, walk through the darkest valleys and our life still stay up? The answer is Jesus. I mean, I don't know if you were expecting a different answer, but that's the most profound thing you will ever hear is when our life and when our foundation is built on him, your life can look pretty shaky. Your life can look pretty unsteady. Yet he protects us and he comforts us 
and we don't have anything to be afraid of. I don't know about you, but this looks more like what, this looks more like my life than like the well put together life, right? My guess is this is more of like what your life looks like too. There's been some bad choices. There's been some bad things that have happened. You've walked through some pretty dark valleys of your life. And you wonder how in the world am I still here? Again, the answer is Jesus. When you build your life on anything or anyone other than Jesus, that's not possible. It will come crashing down in a heartbeat. When your life is built on Jesus and only Jesus, when you declare the truth that he is with you, even when you don't feel it, when you recognize that he is active and involved and engaged in your personal life, guiding you and also disciplining you. Like a father, he loves those he disciplines. So he convicts us and he changes us and he challenges us, all the while holding our life in his hands. Psalm 62, just a few chapters after what he penned in Psalm 23, Psalm 62, King David wrote this. Verse five, he said, let all that I am wait quietly before God for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. And I love this next part and I'm making this my prayer for you today. Oh, my people, Trust in him at all times, that you would trust in him, that you would pour out your heart to him through your personal prayers, for God is our refuge. Oh, that you would trust in him. Don't trust yourself to build the perfect life that will never fall. Don't trust in anyone or anything else to build your life upon. David said it best. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my salvation. He alone, alone, nothing and no one else. He alone is my refuge. And so I put my trust in him. So even when I walk through the darkest valleys, I will not be afraid because I know without a doubt that he is with me. His rod and his staff they protect me and they comfort me because he is with me. And sometimes we just need to ask him, God, help me to see what you're doing in my life. Help me to see that you're with me even when I don't feel it. And help me to know what I'm supposed to do next. What I wanna encourage you to do, and I'll give you a moment to do this, is to have a personal prayer with your personal Lord and your Savior. Maybe you feel a whole lot like this today where your life feels like it's on edge. Is your foundation on him? If so, don't be afraid. If it's not, adjust. And this is the moment where you say, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm gonna walk by faith because of the hope that I have in you, where he becomes your foundation. So instead of me praying for you and praying over you, I want you to have a moment to pray personally. If you're not sure exactly what to pray, let me give you a few ideas and then I'll be quiet for a little bit. First, maybe you just pray, what is my next step? Right, David did that well. Like, what am I supposed to do next? Start there. Maybe it's just telling God, I believe that you are with me. I don't feel it. I don't see it. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I'm just gonna tell you, God, that I'm saying it out loud. I'm saying it in my heart. I'm saying it in my mind that you are with me. Declare that 
Maybe you just need to, to ask God to like lead and guide you. Like, what are you teaching me? How are you wanting to change me? Where are you convicting me? However you wanna pray your personal prayer, I wanna give you permission to do so. Only prayer I really do wanna help you with is if you don't have a foundation on Jesus yet. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your heart as Lord and Savior, you start there. Don't try to build this thing on another foundation. You start with him as Lord and Savior. You say, Jesus, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner that needs a Savior. And Jesus, I can't do this on my own, so will you move into my life? Will you give me the gift of the Holy Spirit? And will you change me from the inside out? And allow him to begin to build a life on him. We'll pull the lights down. I'll give you a moment. Pray between you and him, you and your personal Lord and then I'll pray us out together. Lord, thank you so much for being my shepherd. Thank you so much for being with me, for leading me and guiding me, changing me and challenging me and convicting me. Lord, would you open our eyes to see you, to see how close you are even when we don't feel it, to see how you're active and engaged and involved in our life, to see how you're protecting us through your word, how you're changing us through the spirit that lives in us, your spirit that lives in us. God, help us to build our foundation only on you. Just like David said, may we say the same thing, that we put our trust in you at all times, that you are our only rock, that you alone are our salvation. You are our fortress, you are our refuge, and we build our life on you. And yes, that's gonna require faith. So Lord, through your spirit, would you grow our faith? Would you make our faith more personal as we pray personal prayers to a personal God who loves us each individually? May we walk by faith, even in the darkest of valleys. In Jesus' name, amen.